with the colder remedy. Oh. You were going to tell me about. Oh your yeah. Okay. When uh, we kids had colds. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, that, that wasn't Kleenex uh, in the stores and stuff like this today. Uh, she would give us toilet paper to blow our noses on and it got burned up in the wood stove. So that you weren't transferring the thing to a handkerchief over and over and over again. And uh, also, she didn't have to boil the handkerchief, uh, you know, in order to get it clean and so forth. And when my father built that boat, and the way he built the um, truck bodies onto the back of uh, these vehicles he had, I, I can remember two. He had one that was, I think it was a Model A Ford, and another one that was a Buick. And uh, the treat for me was I would always be allowed to ride in the rumble seat before he took it out you know, <laughs> and did it. So then um, the boat, the rowboat, it would because the rumble seat, you know, went in, the space went in up to the back of the front seat. And they put the prow of the boat in there, and it was just the right size. They didn't have to do anything else. It just stuck it in there, and it off they'd go. Uh, Patanapo or Melindy Pond or, or whatever, and they'd go fishing. And uh, when uh, Dean was a pharmacist mate, he was stationed uh, at Camp Parks, California, which was a CB base because the CBs did not have their own medical corps. And uh, World War II, he was on the USS Bountiful in the Pacific, which when it was going out was uh, a troop ship and coming back was a hospital ship. And we kept in touch with him. He wrote to us all the time. Uh, I've got a necklace that, um, you know, I made out of the shells and stuff and, uh, you know, different things he sent us and script and so forth, uh, coins and whatever. But uh, he um, wrote to us frequently. And only once did we ever get a letter that had something cut out of it that was uh, censored. And I can't remember now what it was, but of course we never knew where he was. But one of the letters that he wrote to us, he told about uh, a typhoon. And you knew whether you were steaming north, south, east, or west by where the sun came up, you know, on the ship. Well, he went to bed, and the sun was on this side of the ship. And when he woke up the next morning, the sun is, you know, it, it's still on that side of the ship, which it should, you know, I mean, it turn, it get, they get turned around. And so he wrote us about that. Well, weeks later, because the news, it, it was not like it is today. Um, you know, they loose lips sink ships and all that jazz. Now we tell all these terrorists and everybody else what we're going to do tomorrow so they can be ready for us when we get there and be well armed. Uh, I, I can't get used to it. But... Um, the newspaper had an article in it about Halsey's Fifth Fleet being caught in this typhoon. Now we know pretty much of the time wherever Halsey's Fifth Fleet was, Gene was traveling back and forth. Troop ship going out and um, hospital ship coming back. Uh, when he was in Camp Parks, I don't remember who, somebody, Christmas that year, gave us a Ouija board. 
Uh, my mother knew how to, uh, to do it. Uh, in fact, they had one when they, um, she was in college, and it was one of the girls that didn't believe in it. But she had the static electricity that, as I have, uh, I, I've not recently, but I used to be able to do it by myself. Uh, she, um, they'd get her to do it, you know, because she had what it took to make it move. But um, it got to the point where if she was working it with somebody else, all it would say would go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't believe. Uh, anyway, we asked the Ouija board what Dean was doing. He was in bed. Why was he in bed? He was asleep. Why was he sleeping? Because even with the time differences between the zones, it, it wasn't the time of day that he should have been in bed. Uh, he was sick. Okay, you know, we shrugged it off. So when I, I wrote to him that week, uh, you know, I told him about the Ouija board and so forth. He wrote back. They had had some kind of an epidemic. He was in bed that day, and he was exhausted because he had been up with this flu epidemic or whatever the heck it was they had, and he had been treating people for days without hardly any sleep. So that, you know, um, well, I'm a believer anyway. Uh, you remember you asked me once if uh, you told me that um, the aliens had brought me down in a spaceship. Would I believe it? And I said yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, so he was a frequent visitor at our house. And of course, because we were friends uh, with Howard Dickey and his housekeeper, whose name was Obi, we call her Obi, and her name, I understand, was Obed. Uh, they raised Ray Dickey, who was supposed to be Howard's nephew. Uh, what the relationships and stuff were there uh, was nebulous. And they, they were people that uh, Frank's family knew in Nova Scotia. And, uh, you know, so that um, there was a connection there. But um, anyway, in fact, it was at their house that I laid eyes on Frank the first time. Uh, we were 10 years old. And he was, uh, we both had on brown overalls, and I was with my father, and we'd gone down there for something, and he was playing trucks in the sand file. Anyway, um, when Dean came home, one of the first places he came, of course, was up to the camp, you know, and he came to our house to see us, you know, and uh, he, he was, you know, so pleased to see us kids. We kept in touch with him through the whole thing. And um, so we invited him to stay for supper. It was very simple. We had homemade hot biscuit and um, sausage and I forget what else. And uh, he just sat there and he wound that stuff into him, something fierce, you know. It wasn't spam, you know. Right. <laughs> you know he was just so pleased to have a home-cooked meal, you know, uh, I, I remember. And um, we um, also, um, we got souvenirs, you know, the silk pillow tops that they made in those days uh, for the uh, servicemen to send home from wherever they were stationed for souvenirs and stuff. We had the pictures of each one of them in their uniform and we had the things like that, you know, from each one of those boys. Um, you know, but um, it, it, it was a connection there. And at one time, um, my father and Howard Dickey um, truck farmed for a year. I don't know what that means. Well, they had a big garden enough so that they could sell stuff, you know. And so we were supposed to be able to get, you know, whatever we wanted for vegetables. My mother would send me with uh, the cart, you know, the kind that kids play with, um, down 
to their house. Now you have some idea in your mind. That's not a short walk. That's right. Well, I would go down, uh, I would not coast down that hill. That was too much. The hill there by Jim Days, I used to coast down that, and I've tipped over on that one too before now. I always had scrapes on my knees and my elbows as a kid growing up. Uh, and um, Obi always used to feel bad because, you know, she'd load the cart up with whatever they had for produce, and then I would drag it up over the hill. And she always felt that uh, that was a horrible thing for a kid my age had to do. But uh, it was no different. I was six, seven years old, and I was passing uh, small logs uh, to my father uh, to um, cut up for firewood, um, you know, on the on the uh, saw. And that was something else that he was good at. He'd take an old vehicle, and uh, he'd mount a, a saw rig on the back of it. He would uh, make the saw table, and that uh, would adjust uh, to go in and out of the saw. And he had the saw, and he'd have the belt. And then you had a ball tire, and the belt went figure eight around the tire. And um, he had more courage than I would have had with my kid, but he used to let me um, sit in the driver's seat and let the clutch out slowly to get that thing rotating so that the saw would start. I don't think I ever got to the point of taking away from the saw much. My mother used to do that. And then when my brother got big enough, uh, he would do it. But I used to... Um, but I was just a, a little kid, and I was picking up the the small logs and passing them to him. And then, of course, uh, we didn't have running water. The well was down over the hill, and uh, it wasn't too long. By the time I was 10 years old, I was lugging up two 12-quart pails of water, one in each hand. When did you get running water? Never had it when I lived there. And you left there at age what? 20. And again, I'm sorry, when was that? What year was that? 1950. And um, tell, tell me about showers or baths. Uh, you heated the water and you had a galvanized bathtub. And in the summertime, you went down the lake every night. You say heated the water on the top of the stove? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which water you had gotten from this well? Well, right. As we had on the top of the stove, there was one and probably two galvanized pails plus the tea kettle. Okay. And... Um, the stove, um, I remember uh, a couple of cook stoves we had, and I think they all had, uh, they used to have a reservoir in the back of the stove behind the oven, and that would stay warm, but um, they were cast iron, and they were quite often rusty, or they leaked, or whatever, so I don't ever remember them uh, using that. Uh, my father was a boilerman. And uh, my mother, I think, was a little leery of fire. And my father used to say she was the only woman in the world he knew that could cook a hot meal on a cold stove. Um, she, you know, didn't, uh, didn't want to get the fire going too hot, although she did a lot of baking, and of course she had to get the fire up and so forth. But um, I can remember not ever owning a cook stove, that the covers were not warped, because my father would have the top of that stove cherry red and the front of it, the ash pit, that would be cherry red. And then over across the other side of the house, we had the sitting room stove, uh, Home Herald, which I, I still have, um, out in my shed. And uh, that would take the big chunks of wood, you know, and you could open up 
I see. Uh, there was a fancy front with the chrome fender and so forth, and then you could open up the side door or the top tilted back and it had covers, or you could tilt back the whole decorative piece and the whole cover and uh, fill it, you know, from there. And um, he used to stoke that up, and I can remember seeing the front of that cherry red. I can remember seeing the um, steel stovepipe that went up through. He had um, two type pipes, one for each stove, went up through the middle of the house. And of course, that was the thing you, you did in the old days in the um, logging camps. Uh, you had the stove on one end, and you ran the stovepipe the whole length because that gave heat to the room. And um, I can remember seeing both of those pipes cherry red when I was a kid. And um, somebody says, well, boy, it's a wonder he didn't catch a full board. Well, he had this big chunk of um, metal, you know, uh, tin or steel or something that was there that the pipes went up through, you know. And, you know, it just, I remember him standing there and watching, uh, you know, making sure that nothing was going to happen. but. Uh, in the old days, that was how a lot of people cleaned their chimney. You just had a chimney fire, and it burned out all the soot, and that's all there was to it, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> and one of the things I wrote down here is the hurricane of 1938. We had to take a break, uh, Mabel and I, and today is uh, May 28th. And uh, she's been kind enough to agree to sit down and talk to me some more. Because uh, I think there's a bunch of topics we didn't touch on. Right. Plus, um, I don't know how it, it gets away from me, but um, when I was listening to the kids that I sat at school with, yeah, Janie Wilkins was one, and Robert Ward was another. And how I forgot Bobby, I have no idea, because we both shared the middle initial V. His is Robert Valentine yeah. Ward. And, um, well, talk to uh, me about Robert Ward. Uh, where did he live? Okay, uh, on uh, Springville Avenue. Okay, that uh, big white the house? The Nye House, yes. Nye house. Uh, his uh, uh, maternal grandparents were Nyes, and uh, they also had a place in Sandown. And uh, that's where they lived uh, while we were going to school. Um, th there was uh, a tragedy in the Nye House at one point. Have you ever heard about that? That I don't know about. Something about one a child picking up a gun? No. No, I, ha I no. haven't happened to hear that one. No. Um, well, let's see. Who, who did Robert, did Robert Ward stay in town? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know uh, Roy, Roy Ward, is that? that that's, well, Roy Ward, uh, that was his father's name, but Roy Ward has to be like 100 years old if he's still around. He's not. Uh, that must be one, maybe one of his sons then. Bobby had a fairly good-sized family. Um, I don't know whether he's still in Brookline or not. He was uh, a few years back. Uh, I think uh, back in the late 80s when I was working uh, at Barreto's Quarry that uh, he was still in Brookline. In the same house? Uh, no. Um, it seems to me that uh, he built a house down uh, somewhere near across from the elementary school. Yeah, Roy, the, the, unless my memory's wrong, the man that I remember is Roy Ward had a house uh, where Springville Ave meets Milford Street, down by the school. Yeah, okay. Uh, his folks, uh, when they moved out of the Nye place, um, built a house uh, which would be on the left 
when you came off of Springvale, right. set back away, sort of across from Alvobetas. And uh, they lived there. And I can't remember whether we were out of school by then or not, but uh, I know that uh, they moved there. And uh, his father was Canadian. Okay. Because during World War II, all aliens had to register. Huh. And apparently, um, th there was an opinion that uh, he had never you know, applied for uh, citizenship or had citizenship or whatever. And, uh, you know, there was this wild speculation as to whether he was going to get sent back to Canada or not, you know. Wow. But um, I, you know, I, I remember that. And talk to me about it's Betters. That's a name I know, and I don't know any Betters. Okay. Across the, the street, street across the, um, when you go, if you take Austin Road, uh, Abu Betters' house uh, is the one that's there on the left. Abu Betters had a construction company. And um, I presume, um, I don't know, I always assumed uh, that uh, he was Finnish uh, extraction. There were a lot of Finnish people that uh, w lived in Milford and Brookline. Uh, they worked in the quarries, uh, some of them. And uh, there were neighbors of ours just down over the line into uh, Milford, uh, Oscar Sampson. I can't remember what his wife's name was. But uh, when we first moved there, they came up, she came up to visit with one of the other ladies in the neighborhood, and she had knit mittens for both of us kids. Oh, nice. You know, and um, things have changed um, when people move in and out of neighborhoods. It's not exactly the same. But Avo um, was, uh, I, I never heard any um, bad things about him or whatever. Uh, I don't even know if he was married, uh, but um, as a child, remembering him, uh, he was a pleasant person, and um, my folks liked him and admired him, but because he was in construction, um, then he was bucking up against the fowls. Hmm. They had they as, did construction as work? Far, as far as, um, you know, getting town uh, jobs and, and so forth, and um, and and how it ever worked out percentage-wise or anything, I don't know, but uh, Avro, I think, made a you know, good living for himself. Right. But uh, he, he was um, you know, somebody that I remember hearing good things about. And, um, well, I never heard anything bad about the Vowels either, but uh, you know, and some of them, like my family, have their skeletons that are way back in the closet someplace and you leave them alone. And I told you about a few, but... Uh, <laughs> I think we all have them. Emily. Yeah, we do. And uh, I've always said I would never dare to run for political office because I would not even want my own closet investigated, never mind right. <laughs> go down through my family. Well, let, me, let me jump in, because uh, my mind's going through the people who live in that area. Now I'm going... Uh, north on Mason Road. And I'm thinking, you know, Ross Jensen lives there. I mean, Jensen's have been in town forever. Oh, forever. Yeah. Um, Alton Jensen uh, married... Um, hmm. I'll think of it someday. Um, Elizabeth. I don't know what her maiden name was. But it was Alton and Elizabeth, I'm quite sure. Alton Jensen... I uh, drove the school bus almost all of the 12 years that I went to school oh, okay. from Brookline. And um, he was an imposing man. 
um, not heavy, heavy, but uh, big boned. Um, and of course, as a kid, I remember him being tall, but whether he really was or not, I, 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 I remember him being tall too. Yeah, even as an adult, I think I remember him being tall because I would see him different times in town, and uh, when they would be uh, something in the newspapers about some town having trouble with the school buses and the kids on them and stuff, I'd say, Alton, they need you to drive that bus, you know, because uh, he looked out for his kids, but he brooked no foolishness. And in those days, he knew, even though we lived four miles out of town, that if my brother David and I got acting up on the school bus, he had permission for my father to open the door and tell us to walk. And my father would never have, um, you know, complained about it, uh, you know, because uh, he knew what kind of kids we were. You know, we were just as capable of mischief as the rest of the world. Uh, and um, Alton, uh, let's see. Um, there was Kenny and Charlotte, who's married to um, Sonny Powell. Um, and George. Uh, yeah, George. Uh, yeah, I forget. I, I see th those Powell boys were older than I, so that um, I get them mixed up. Uh, but he, she married him, and uh, then there's Ross, and uh, Ross is younger than I. Um, he was below me in school uh, at least three years because uh, I was never in the same room with him. And um, he had a speech impediment when he came to school. He couldn't talk. All I could do was make sounds. And by the time he got out of first grade, he could talk. And he has no problem today. And I saw him again probably eight years ago now, at least eight, maybe more, uh, as an adult. And I had not ever seen him before. And I was at somebody's house, and he was there visiting. And they introduced me to him. And I said, I know who he is. One handsome son of a gun of a guy. He really, you know, is what the girls today would say, a hunk. But, um, you know, he is one very good-looking man. Alton was a good-looking man. But he had these big, heavy eyebrows, dark, black as the ace of spades, you know. And if he frowned, boy, you know, I mean, you, you, as a kid, you got the message, you know. Uh, but um, he, he was good. And now, I don't know if they had any other children or not. Um, well, that's what Alton do, to, if you remember. Yeah, uh, chickens. They oh, he had chickens. Oh. And the, the coops are there, yeah, the same yeah, place. Yeah, okay. he had chicken farm. And... Um, I don't know just what else he did, but were there uh, many other chicken farms? There, Carl's. Yeah, Smith had. Um, my, my uncle Carl uh, Smith uh, had uh, hen ranch. Uh, what he did was to raise hatching aids for Hubbard Farms. What does that mean? Uh, well, uh, they don't hatch if they have not been inseminated, uh, so that you. Um, and they have to be candled, and I can't remember whether he did his own candling or not. I think so, but I'm not sure. Um, and even during the war, uh, Railway Express had an office in Milford, and my Aunt Barbara, Aunt Bidey, uh used to, twice a week, would fill the old Chevy touring car full of crates, wooden crates, that had the eggs packed in them, and then they would ship them out to Hubbard Farms. And I presume Hubbard Farms incubated them and, um, you know, sold baby chicks. I don't know. Uh, any, any other 
chicken farms. I'm thinking Nudson. Did Nudson? Do yeah, Nudson had uh, two. Had one. Um, and where was he? He's he was uh, in South Fork Line then, I think. Oh. Uh, and well, not South. What I think of a South Fork Line, but um, one thirty. Um, it seems to me he was out there. And then, of course, they eventually, when he went out of that, they moved up onto the top of Steam Mill Hill on the house on the uh, right-hand side. And uh, one part of one summer, I babysat their young kids. Uh, he married a woman who had a son, uh, Anders Hansen, and uh, then they had three little kids. And um, can't say their names now, but... Um, when I was 14, I stayed there for a while and I babysat and then I got another job um, that um, was easier and paid as much. Um, I remember the oldest girl was sitting in the swing out there on the lawn and um, you know, we're playing, swinging, talking. All of a sudden, she throws her arms around me, says, I love you, and takes the biggest bite out of me that you ever... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> they weren't bad kids. They, they were just active, and, uh, you know, because uh, he was older and so forth, you know, I presume they were somewhat spoiled. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I remember babysitting for them. Do you have any recollection of the Tasker Turkey Farm? Oh, yes. What do you remember about that? Oh, yeah. Um, can't, can't say his first name. Uh, but my father used to go down, and uh, you could buy turkey eggs. And um, they're huge. You know, they're like goose eggs. Uh, they're big eggs. And uh, the yolks are much richer, the same as goose eggs are than hen's eggs. And my father used to go down and get those, and he used to go down and get a turkey occasionally, you know, and uh, we would have that. Uh, but um, now his daughter married Clarence Corey, Ann. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. It's Ann Tasker. All right, sure, I see them walking around town. So yeah, so. yeah. Clarence Corey was one of the kids that was in my class. And um, and see so when we got into high school, they never called him that, um, but uh, his, his nickname amongst the guys was Clara, and uh, you know that was just a shortening of the Clarence. Uh, today it would have an implication that you didn't want, but uh, it, that that was just you know their fun thing. It, it wasn't uh, any question of his <laughs> manhood or anything. And, uh, oh, yeah, I remember Tasker, and of course I told you the last time about Leonard Refon. He had his um, chicken business. I'm trying to think. Uh, Quimby had some, too, at one point, I think. Okay. Yeah, when they there lived down on building. 130. Yeah. Well, I, on that little spur off of 130? Yeah, you're where the uh, auction place is now. Where the auction barn is. Quimby was there? Yeah. Oh, that, okay. They, they, they that lived in that house. Building. Yeah. They oh, lived, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. When, huh. um, Del Quimby. Yeah, yeah, when Loring Quimby was a kid, uh, that's where they lived. Yeah. And because uh, if, um, see, that, the bus route went to South Brookline first, 
And um, if we were just hanging around, Alton would let us ride. So we got to ride around down south and find out where all the kids lived. And then he'd pick up the rest of the kids that go up the north end. And then, and then he'd go from the north end up to the high school in Milford and pick the kids up and then come back. Um, uh, because um, today the, the bus routes, uh, one goes south, one goes east, one goes west, one goes north, and whatever, and uh, you know, the population is so different, uh, but I'll throw the whole thing. And there were times when there were enough of us in the bus, of course today it would be frowned on, but we had these little folding camp stools, and they just filled the aisles up, you know, and you sat on those. and. Um, None of us ever got hurt. Yeah. We used to like to sit uh, on the back seat that ran horizontally across the back of the bus because every time you hit a bump, you know, up and you hit the ceiling, you know. You betcha. <laughs> and, you know, we just, you know, kids, you know, it uh, was good. But um, I had uh, good memories of Alton Jensen. Uh, I admired him as a man. And, um, it seems to me, I can't, that Alton, not Alton, um, Ellsworth Austin married a Jensen, but I, I don't know for sure. I don't know. I, I, uh, Deanie would have it in the uh, family history that he's got. He spoke of Teeny. I don't think we've talked about Who's Teeny? Leo. Leo Austin. Never called him Leo. Never. He was Teeny. He was Teeny Austin. And if you read the Austin family history that he's got, and his aunt's journal, their uh, leader's journal, uh, it, it refers to Teeny, you know, because uh, Leo was his father. Right. You yeah. didn't want any confusion. And, and uh, well, you, you can see uh, he's not of a terribly tall stature today, and, uh, and he's uh, slight, and so as a kid, you know, it was even more so, you know, and um, Jim was not very tall, but Jim? he, uh, Jimmy, his older brother, oh, Jimmy Austin. but he was rugged, you know, I mean, uh, you oh, know, he's, yeah, he's well, he worked in the woods uh, when you would have known him. Uh, he had worked in the woods for years, and, uh, but he always was, uh, he, w he was a rugged uh, kid, and, and Teeny was uh, just the opposite, not that he wasn't strong and capable and stuff, but there were just two entirely different builds. Interesting. And, um, I'm thinking about, uh, and I'm sure you have a list too, so you yeah. feel free one. But I'll ask you one first. Go ahead. Uh, um, the Evergreen business. Did, did you ever? Did that exist? Did you know? Oh that? yes, uh, the Bents. Okay. And the McKelveys. Mrs. McKelvey was related to the Bents. Uh, and incidentally, in a town as small as we were, and in a room with three grades that had about 32 kids. There were two kids.